Welcome to the Charleston Time Machine. I'm Nick Butler, historian at the Charleston County Public Library, and today we're going to travel back in low country history to talk about Bastille Day, which is celebrated on the 14th of July by Francophiles around the world. I wrote an essay about this topic a couple of years ago, before I launched this radio series, so I'd like to revisit the topic for the benefit of those of you who may not have seen the original post. Come mid-July in Charleston, you can be sure that someone, somewhere in our community, is hosting a Bastille Day party, celebrating the day with the usual routine of flying the tricolor flag, singing French patriotic songs, imbibing strong beverages, and launching colorful fireworks. I've even heard some people refer to this practice as a Charleston tradition, but that's not exactly an accurate statement. Yes, it is true that emigrants from France formed a significant portion of our local population in the early days of South Carolina, and it is indeed a fact that the French military provided invaluable assistance to the United States during our War of Independence with Great Britain. One can be excused for assuming that our forebears here in Charleston celebrated Bastille Day, and that it's proper that we should continue that tradition in the spirit of liberty, equality, and fraternity. History tells a different story, however, and it's worth noting that the anniversary of the French Revolution was not always regarded as a joyous occasion in this city. So, to celebrate or not to celebrate, that is the question of the day. The 14th of July marks the anniversary of an important day in the history of France and the French-speaking diaspora around the world. Bastille Day, as it's commonly known, commemorates the day civilian forces stormed and occupied a notorious Parisian prison that held political dissidents. That event sparked a long series of struggles that evolved into a full-scale national revolution that lasted for several years and toppled the ancient monarchy. When news of the storming of the Bastille and the spread of revolution arrived here in Charleston in the autumn of 1789, the citizens of the city held high hopes for the beginning of a peaceful and substantial government reform in France. The success of the American Revolution was still a recent fact, and Charlestonians stood ready to support and to encourage our French comrades who helped us shed the yoke of British oppression. Pro-French sentiment spread throughout South Carolina, embraced by Anglo-Americans and by the descendants of French refugees who had fled religious persecution in France in the late 1600s. In the early years of the 1790s, the 14th of July was celebrated in Charleston with military parades, fireworks, political speeches, and much civic feasting. Everyone was involved, from our governor and state legislature down to laborers and schoolchildren. Bands routinely played the two tunes most associated with the French Revolution. Ça ira, loosely translated as, everything's going to be all right let's hang the aristocrats, and the 1792 hit song that became the French national anthem, La Marseillaise. A number of citizens here in Charleston formed a Société Patriotique Française, which quickly became the organizing force behind the annual festivities. 
when revolutionary leaders in Paris announced the creation of the French Republic in late 1792. The Francophiles of Charleston hosted a series of winter celebrations and fetes. Sentiments began to change in early 1793, however. On the first day of February, the new French Republic declared war on our principal trading partner, Great Britain, and Charleston's mercantile community was forced to re-examine their allegiances. In June of 1793, a simmering slave revolt in the wealthy French colony of Saint-Domingue, that's Haiti now, fueled by revolutionary ideas, overtook the northern port of Cap Francois, causing thousands of French-speaking refugees to flee to the United States. A stream of hundreds of destitute Creole French men and women arrived in Charleston that summer, and the narrative of their plight further undermined the pro-French sentiment in South Carolina. Nevertheless, the city celebrated Bastille Day in 1793 with military parades, fireworks, political speeches, and lots and lots of eating and drinking. In October 1793, however, Charlestonians read the first reports of the violent turn in the French Revolution, a long period of systematic bloodshed that became known as the Reign of Terror from September 1793 to July of 1794. At the same time, in the autumn of 1793, French operatives here in Charleston, including the official French consul, Citizen Mangouri, were secretly and illegally trying to solicit assistance in arming privateers to go out into the Atlantic and capture British vessels off the coast of South Carolina. By the early months of 1794, the people of our community were growing weary of the stream of violence and chaos associated with the French Revolution. Governor William Moultrie backpedaled away from visiting French representatives. Then, in the spring of 1794, news arrived here that rocked the political and economic foundations of South Carolina. In February 1794, the National Convention of France ratified a law abolishing the institution of slavery throughout its territories, including the French colonies in the New World. Today, we can interpret this act as the logical continuation of the revolutionary spirit that embraced the ideals of liberty, equality, and fraternity. Back in South Carolina in 1794, however, the majority of the white population was horrified by the news of the French abolition of slavery. The practice of slavery formed the bedrock of our economy. It shaped the construction of our laws, and it fueled our patronage of culture and the arts. With hundreds and eventually thousands of French refugees streaming into Charleston and into other American ports, the effects of the new French law would soon be felt across the nation. More specifically, low country planters feared that enslaved people of South Carolina would learn of and become inspired by the successful slave revolt in Saint-Domingue and the emancipation of French slaves. In the minds of the white slaveholders here in 1794, this situation could lead to violence and bloodshed in our own community. South Carolina's infatuation with the French Revolution was over, and a tacit campaign began to suppress further news of the abolition of French slaves.
By July of 1794, Charleston's observation of Bastille Day was significantly less enthusiastic. Our national, state, and city governments had adopted a policy of keeping a polite distance from the official representatives of the French Republic. At the same time, government officials were actively discouraging the public from causing any harm or insult to our quote-unquote good friends, the British. Diplomatic relations with the French Republic further eroded in 1797, and by 1798, the United States had entered a long period of quasi-war with France. Anti-French sentiment reached its zenith in February of 1799, when Charleston welcomed home Charles Coatsworth Pinckney, who had ably represented the United States in Paris during the notorious XYZ Fair of 1797-1798. That winter, a newly built fort in Charleston Harbor, initially called Fort Pinckney, now called Castle Pinckney, was officially named in that representative's honor. In short, the history of enthusiastic Bastille Day celebrations in Charleston encompasses a period of just a few years in the first half of the 1790s. Thereafter, French refugees and their supporters living in Charleston became quietly polarized into opposing factions, with once wealthy planters wishing for a return of the monarchy and radicalized Republicans, or Jacobins, seeking to carry the revolution to extremes. After the modest commemoration of 1795, our local newspapers ceased to even acknowledge the anniversary of the day for many, many years to come. If you're looking for further insight into the details of Charleston's attitudes towards the French Revolution in the 1790s, I would heartily recommend going to the library and looking for a book by Robert J. Alderson called This Bright Era of Happy Revolutions. French Consul Michel-Ange Bernard Manguerite and International Republicanism in Charleston, 1792-1794, published by the University of South Carolina Press in 2008. Now, back to the question of the day. Should we celebrate Bastille Day in Charleston or not? The documentary record shows that Charleston heartily embraced the holiday for a few short years in the 1790s before rejecting it, one might even say suppressing it, for generations. Should these facts deter us from marking the occasion of the 14th of July? A staunch traditionalist might say yes, because our forebears here in Charleston rejected the holiday, and so should we. But consider this fact. Charlestonians rejected the commemoration of Bastille Day in the late 1790s because of several reasons that have long abated. For example, the rash actions of a few unscrupulous French agents in town at that time, and the sickening but relatively brief excesses of the reign of terror, and the abolition of slavery in nearby French colonies. The last of these reasons, the end of French slavery, was perhaps the most powerful deterrent for the white community here in the 1790s, but it has no power today. In my opinion, I think we should embrace the anniversary of a movement that succeeded in undermining the scourge of slavery, even if Napoleon did reinstate the practice in selected colonies a few years later. On that note, I'll say adieu 
And merci beaucoup for tuning in to the Charleston Time Machine. Kevin Crothers is the executive producer of this program for WYLA at the Charleston County Public Library. I'll be back on the air next week with more adventures in low country history. But if you'd like to join me in person for a live presentation, check out the library's calendar of events at ccpl.org or visit my blog, charlestontimemachine.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Nick Butler, and I'll see you in the future.